0: So do follow this in the Church Bible um, on page 1184. Alternatively, it's up on the screen. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tachicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. And my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras who is the one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. And our dear friend Luke, the doctor, And Demas, send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And after this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. And tell Archippus, see to it, that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains and grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So if you can keep your Bibles open, I think it was page 1184. That would be really good. So we're thinking about devotion, devotion, and as... uh, Victoria said it's the last one in the series from um, Colossians, which has been a great series, I think. And I don't normally start with a quote from someone else, but I am this evening, because it's so good what this guy said. This bloke's called Mark Maynell, and I don't know if you've got this book. It's about Colossians and Philemon. And it's, there are some more available, I noticed, at the back. Only £8, pounds, bargain. I don't know if you get a discount because it's the end of the series. You have to ask the vicar. Can't hear him, I know he's behind that pillar. Negotiable. Negotiable, okay. Anyway, it's, it's a great book, Mark Maynell. So I'm gonna quote at length to start with. So really listen carefully because I, I just think this is very, very good. Anyway, so Mark Maynell, it's called Colossians and Philemon for you. Uh, Or is it Philemon? I've been practicing this with Jane and now I'm getting all the names wrong. But anyway, Philemon, sorry darling. Anyway, he says this will sound entirely obvious, but it needs stating nevertheless, Christianity is not primarily a set of doctrinal statements, important though they are. After all, God did not reveal himself in a volume of systematic theology. So Christianity is not a set of doctrinal statements. Then he says, Christianity is not primarily a culture, although there is no doubting its astonishing world-changing legacy in realms as diverse politics, economics, philanthropy, charity, art, music, Literature, philosophy, architecture, and society, I could go on. God's handiwork is evident in all these spheres and more, but Christianity is not primarily a culture. And then he says Christianity is not even primarily a story, although it's without question the greatest story ever told, despite perhaps not necessarily being the best understood. And and Paul says it's a bit of a mystery to many people. If you're new, um, I'm not going to go in detail into the mystery of what it is, although Victoria alluded to it earlier, but do chat to me afterwards if you want to know more. But he said, um, he says, after all, it's unlikely we're going to need our Bibles in eternity when we're in Christ's presence. So Christianity is not even primarily a story. Then he says, Christianity is about God's kingdom. It's Christ, Jesus, and his people. It's about the people. He says the scriptures are full of individuals, some we know learn a great deal about, some only get a fleeting walk on part, and there's a few of those in the reading tonight. But they all seem remote, because we've yet to meet any of them personally. Well, of course, but not yet. We will, of course, in the future, but not yet, when we all together with Jesus. But to learn what they're like, we must take others' words for it but we should never race through the Bible's lists of names, including those that feature in Paul's letters. Each one has a significance in the kingdom. Each name has something to teach us about the kingdom. Each one is part of the whole of the gospel and its effect on people. I added that bit. So even though we don't know these individuals, they're part of us and we're part of them if we all share our union in Christ. This is what the kingdom's about. Christianity is about God's kingdom. It's Christ and his people. It's about the people. So that's what he says. I I just think that's really good. Anyway, so he reminds us that these people who read about, we read about in the Bible and this letter, and particularly in this final part of Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 4, are part of us, the body of Christ, the family of God, and we're part of them. We're linked in with them. But this also means we carry on trying to draw others to faith in Jesus, the King of kings today, like those people from the past. We carry on doing what they did. So all of us sitting here are part of helping others in practical ways, serving them, helping them, loving our neighbour, to show others what God's kingdom is like today, like these people named in this letter that we're going to look at in a minute, from the past, We've all got names here, sitting here tonight, and that we're known, we're loved by God, and today we're all part of these millions of names who've served Jesus and his kingdom through the years. So I want to talk tonight about Paul and the people mentioned here by Paul this evening, and I think it's vital to realize these are people like us, faced with the various problems in life, but we serve the same God who we see embodied in Jesus. We serve the same God that they followed, with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, Jesus in us, and Jesus in them. These names, these people, can help us today, even though they're names from the past, from 2,000 years ago. So let's listen to them for a few moments tonight. And Normally, I would pray for you. I will briefly in a moment. But what I'd like you to do is pray for me, but also pray that we'll be listening to God uh, this evening through what, through what I say and through the whole service and that we'll be able to respond to him. So just take a time in silence. Pray that, that I'll make it clear as I should, like Paul says, and, and pray too that we'll all be listening to God. So let's just pray for a moment in silence. So Lord, I thank you for all of us and I pray that we'll be able to listen to you now to the glory of Jesus. Amen. So I'd like to start our focus on people by talking about Paul. And I did talk quite a lot about Paul a couple of weeks ago on the 14th of August in the morning. But here's a very brief summary. So Paul was a Jewish tent maker. So he must have had really strong fingers, doesn't he? you imagine sticking a needle through tents? You know, they're pretty heavy tents then, weren't they? Strong fingers. He was a learned Bible student of a well-known Jewish teacher, Gamaliel. So he's clever. Um, He dramatically met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He turned from persecuting Christians to following Jesus himself. And then here in this letter, he's being persecuted as a Christian. So now he's in prison, either in Rome or Ephesus, and probably under house arrest so he can have visitors. He was also, I think, a sports fan, right? He used pictures from athletics, boxing, And in this letter, wrestling to illustrate various points in his communications with people. So I think he was a bit of a sports fan as well. So he's like many of us sitting here tonight, isn't he? You know, I mean, Victoria is is a fan of the cricket, I'm sure. She mentioned it earlier. Others who like cricket, you might like different sports. You might like wrestling. I don't know. So Paul was a lot like many of us here. He had a job. Now, I know we don't all have paid employment, but he had a job. He was a tent maker. He knew a bit about the Bible, he became a Christian, he had interests, he may have been keen on sport. Well, you could be describing lots of us here, couldn't you? And Paul knows directly the people with him. So he, he knows these people who are visiting him, say, in his uh, imprisonment, um, or he knows the people who are imprisoned with him. He knows them, but he doesn't, hasn't yet met these people in Colossae, and he hasn't been there. But he's written a letter to them. But he doesn't directly know the people in Colossae. But he does sort of know them through his companions. Some of them do know them. And I would suggest he knows them too, with that mysterious link there is when we pray for people. Somehow he knows them through prayer. Because when we pray for people, we're turning to the head of the body, Jesus, the King of God's kingdom, Jesus. We're turning to him, and Jesus knows everyone who lives now, he knows everyone who has ever lived and who will live he knows everyone intimately and he's the visible image the invisible god father son and holy spirit so when we pray for people we're going to ask we're asking jesus the head of the body which is all of us the church the family of god we're asking him to help people we possibly don't know well at all or maybe don't even know and that's an amazing thing really isn't it do you ever think about that it's, it's pretty amazing. I think we can often take prayer for granted and overlook the amazingness of it, the mystery of it. In prayer we can help people without being physically present with them by asking Jesus to help them. Of course we can also pray with other people directly which is great and you, you, you know if you want someone to pray with you afterwards just ask someone you trust and they'll pray with you afterwards. So Paul's imprisoned And he encourages the people in Colossae in that area. um, And and I'm sure he'd want to encourage us in the same way today. So as as Victoria quoted at the beginning, he says, first of all, verse 2, if you've got your Bible open, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, uh, this does make sense, my illustration. You will get it in the end. But have you ever seen the show, Dogs Behaving Very Badly? Have you ever seen that? Go on, admit to it. Well, I've got a friend. He's an absolute expert on dogs, because he's watched this show. I mean, if you talk to him about dogs, he knows exactly what to do with them. He's fantastic, except he doesn't own a dog. That's the problem. But he knows all about it, because he's watched the show. It's a great show. Anyway, this is Graham. He's the dog expert. That's not my friend, that's the real dog expert. Uh, And he helps people with the problems they face with their dog's behavior. That's Graham. And the problem is, if you see the next slide, you see the woman on the left holding the dogs like this, you know. The woman on the left and her husband had their dogs, uh, they had this problem. They constantly pulled towards other dogs on their lead and they want to run off with the dogs. Graham had to help the, the owners of these dogs. Uh, he, he, he had to help them see what, what was going on. Because the, the reason their dog, the dogs are pulling is because they're distracted by the other dogs. And, and they want to run off with them. And he had to try and help them see that, uh, what was going on. And it it struck me that it's your brain a bit like that when you get to pray sometimes, you know. You get down to pray and then you're kind of distracted. It's like you're running off after other dogs, aren't you? You're all over the place. It's a bit like that. It's a bit like a wrestling match, to go back to our sport theme, uh, between trying to focus on God and pray and all the other things that keep popping into our mind. The owner of those dogs is having a bit of a wrestling match with them on their leads, isn't she? Well, Graham, go back to Graham, he's our dog expert. He realized the dogs were distracted, right? He worked out what the reason was, and he's very clever. He said they found it hard to listen to the voice of their owner. They found it hard to listen to the voice of their owner. So he helped the owners train the dogs to listen to their master and mistress's voice so they would stop being distracted and running off after all the other dogs, so Paul says devote yourself to prayer being watchful and thankful and I hope this will make sense now because the dogs had to learn to follow the guidance of their owners they had to learn to listen to their owner's voice and ignore the other distractions and once they did this they were much better they could go without running off after all these distractions around them they'd listen to their owner's voice and watch out for them and return to them And I wonder if we can be a bit like that when we pray. I wonder if we need to learn to listen to the voice of God better, expect him to speak to us, be watchful what he's saying to us, and be thankful, as Paul says there, for the good things he gives us each day. I certainly am trying to work on this. I need to be watchful and thankful listening to God, seeing what he's up to. And I've been trying hard to work on this for a while. I'm not that good at it. But there are lots of ways you can improve our listening to God so we can hear Him better with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And maybe Paul's description here of one of the people, Epaphras, might help us with one of Paul's sporting comparisons. So here we get a bit of wrestling. Paul writes about Epaphras. Epaphras, who's one of you, verse 12, this is, if you've got looking in your Bible. And a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. So here we see Paul's interest in wrestling coming out in his analogy about Apophis' prayer. Because as I said, it's not always easy work. It requires commitment, devotion, as it's easy to get distracted by other things. It's sometimes hard to focus on our Master, listen to him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and listen to him being watchful and thankful. Now, has anyone here ever been a wrestler? I, I'm, I'm just intrigued. No one's ever done any, re- no, I didn't think you would have done. Oh well. I used to watch it on the telly when I was young. It was great, Saturday afternoon, Mick McManus it was. Oh, great, anyway. Um, but if you want to be a wrestler or any other so- type of sports person, then you will have to devote yourself to a physical training regime and practice in the techniques of wrestling. And if we want to devote ourselves to prayer, there are useful things we can do to help ourselves in this slightly mysterious practice. Although it's simple, basically you're just talking to God, listening to God, it's at its simplest, that's what it is. But um, this mysterious practice means even when we're not physically present with someone, as Jesus knows the person, he can help them. And we'll all find our best ways to pray, won't we? We're all different uh, but a couple of things I found recently I'll share with you very briefly and this one you probably can't see it, I was going to do a slide but I didn't get to it, this, this is 7 Ways to Pray by Amy Bouchapai and I went on a course with her at Lee Abbey, it was really good and it, helped, it involves the use of the Bible to pray in various ways and emphasizes times of silence and listening and we've been using this in our small group we haven't quite finished it, it's really good And then, of course, Stephen Green, who I think I see sitting over here, he did a great course on uh, biblical meditation, and I found that incredibly helpful too. And one of the common factors between the two is having this silence and trying to listen to what God's saying to us. So Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So one of the main things we can do is listen to our master's voice better, like those dogs who had to learn to listen to their owners. One of the simple ways we can do that is just actually stop talking, which I'm not very good at. Be silent more. Try to see what God's bringing to your mind when you pray. Maybe you're using the Bible as well. What jumps out at you from the Bible? So that's the first point. Now let's go back to Paul again and notice something else. The second thing I've noticed is he's not too proud to ask the new Christians in Colossae to pray for him. He's not too proud. And he's, he's a Christian now. He's in prison for his faith. You know, he's been around the block a few times. He's quite experienced. But he asks there, he wants them to pray for him. He repeats this request of prayer too at the end of the letter uh, as well. So asking for prayer, I think, is really important. And often we can neglect to ask for prayer for ourselves. You think, oh, and I'm not worth bothering with, that kind of thing. Uh, but actually it keeps us humble and also builds relationships as we show our vulnerability to other people. So it's it's a really good thing to do because we all need each other's prayers to build each other up no matter how long we've been a Christian. We all need each other. And if we we read on in verse 3, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Then he says, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door. This is what his prayer is. God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So let's pray for each other constantly. We need it. But he asks for opening a door for our message so we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. He asks that God, the makin' sign for door is that. It's fairly self-explanatory. He asks that God will open a door so he can proclaim the mystery of Christ to others who aren't yet Christians. Because Paul, I think, knows that God goes ahead of us and he opens doors for others to hear and respond to Jesus. And he, prayer is the key to those doors opening, these opportunities arising for us to share something of our faith with others. Prayer is key. And then Paul continues, he says, verse four, pray that I may proclaim the mystery of Christ clearly as I should, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And I think what Paul means here is that when we chat to people, we actually need to listen to two people. Right? when we chat to people first of all we need to listen to Jesus through the Holy Spirit who lives in us and helps us to be watchful when God gives us an opportunity to share our faith so first of all listen to Jesus and secondly listen to the person who we're chatting with to wait for that opportunity that door to open so we need to listen to two people God and the person we're with. And when we pray and practice listening to God, we can also use that listening skill when we chat to others and look for God to open a door, an opportunity to arise to share our faith or help someone. What we believe and who we follow might seem quite mysterious to the person we're with. We've got to bear that in mind. But Paul wants to be able to make the mystery of Christ clear clear to others so they can understand it clear and that is a work of God but we can help and I think that's a great prayer for us to pray too that when we chat to others we'll make it clear and God will help us I believe and when we try and listen to God in prayer we might also improve our skills of listening to others I think the two go together and and also hearing from them about their concerns and their questions Paul says, so that you you may know how to answer everyone. That's what he says. That's his prayer uh, in verse 6. So our listening to God can help us listen to others. And as I said earlier, I'm very bad at this. So I'm really trying to work on it. So Paul encourages us to be wise, to listen carefully to the Holy Spirit as you are with people. Listen to people's concerns. Ask them questions give considerate graceful interesting flavorsome salty answers salt adds flavor doesn't it flavorsome answers and wait till the door opens in the conversation often you have to wait I was in the pub the other day I was chatting this bloke and I was just I was just waiting I, you know I, I was chatting away listening I just waiting I knew that something was going to come and it did the door opened and that's what happens So wait till the door opens in the conversation. If you just butt straight in, like I've done so many times, you just, oh, he's that lunatic again, you know. But if you wait, that's the moment God's opened the door. Wait. Wait till the door opens in the conversation and be watchful for it. It's an act of faith. This is all an act of faith that God is hearing your prayers and he will open the door. Watch out for those doors opening. Right, let's move on now to the variety of people who Paul mentions towards the end of the letter. This is where I've got to try and get my um, pronunciations right. Jane's checking me over there. Right, first one, verse 7, Tychicus. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, faithful minister. He's a fellow servant in the Lord, Paul says. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that may, you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming to you with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. So he's, he's from uh, Colossae, Onesimus. They will tell you everything that's happening here. So Paul trusted Tychicus and praised him for his faithfulness and serving nature. He's very positive about him, isn't he? And, you know, try and be positive about people. Look at the good in them. And he saw Tychicus as his equal, a fellow servant of the Lord. So he didn't say, oh, I'm the great Paul. I'm missionary to the Gentiles. He didn't do any of that. He said he's a fellow servant in the Lord. He just saw himself as a servant. (laughs) Paul wants the Christians in the church in Colossae to know more detail about what's happening in his imprisonment and to be encouraged and trust Tychicus to do this when he travels back to Colossae. And he also entrusts him with this tricky task of uh, traveling back with, with Onesimus. But why was it tricky, likely to be tricky, traveling with Onesimus? Why was it? Well, let's move on to him now, Onesimus. Because in verse 9, Paul says, Tychicus is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who's one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. Now, Onesimus means useful. And Paul says he's faithful to and dear to him and a brother. That might sound, well, he's just being nice. That's very innocuous and normal, isn't it? It's a nice thing to say about someone. But in many ways, it's not normal at all. This is an unusual thing for Paul to say, and I think we need to be spot this. It shows how incredibly different a Christian outlook was to the culture of the day. Very different. And if you read the short following book Philemon, uh, Philemon, Philemon, you will see how different Paul's attitude is to the Roman culture in which he lived. He's in a Roman culture. And if you didn't realize... Onesimus was a runaway slave. He'd run away from his master Philemon in Colossae, and a slave running off was illegal, and it was punishable by death, right? Under Roman law. That was the punishment, death. But a wonder, wonderful thing had happened. Onesimus had become a Christian, and therefore Paul calls him our faithful and dear brother. And in a letter to Philemon, he says in verse 12, I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. And he also says in verse 16, he's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man, but as a brother in the Lord. So Philemon has become is a Christian already. And so Paul is showing in practice the working out of the statement he makes earlier in this letter about living in God's kingdom with a new self, doing things God's way. He says earlier in the letter, in God's kingdom, Colossians 3.11 this is, there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is, is all and is in all. That's very radical because slaves were nothing. Do you see what I mean? This is very radical indeed. And Paul talks about this runaway slave who's broken the law in the same warm terms as he uses of Chichicus. And he writes to Onesimus's master, Philemon, to receive Ones- uh, Onesimus back as a brother in Christ, as a member of God's family, as a member of the body of Christ. Onesimus would still be a slave, but both he and his master will be brothers in the family of God. And I think we really need to notice what's going on here. This is so radical. This is very different stuff from the Roman culture with slavery embedded in it, isn't it? God's way of doing things is at work in Paul. And although Paul was a Roman citizen, actually, he was primarily a citizen of heaven. He belonged to God. He belonged to Jesus. And he was willing to help Onesimus rather than turn him into the Roman authorities. He could have done that to receive his punishment under Roman law, which would have probably been a death sentence. He could have done that. He didn't. So It's very different, the kingdom of God. Anyway, the next three people we come across are Aristarchus, Mark, also known as John Mark, and Jesus Justice. And Mark maybe was the author of the Gospel of Mark. And Paul shows his reliance on these three, and he says, these are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God and they proved a comfort to me they were a comfort to Paul Paul really valued his, his Jewish upbringing and culture and these three knew where Paul as a Jew was coming from and we will hopefully find people here in the family of God who, who may be, we may be particularly close to because we have similar backgrounds and in the body of Christ they can be a great comfort to us too it's nice to know that They know where we're coming from, you know. But there's still this massive variety of people in this band of people supporting Paul while he's imprisoned. And then Paul mentions Epaphras, the one who wrestles in prayer, who I've mentioned uh, previously. And then he moves on to Luke and Demas. Our dear friends Luke the Doctor and Demas send greetings. Now, it's great to think Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke and Acts, and Mark were both there with Paul so you've got two gospel writers and you've got the writer of Acts there, it's amazing isn't it they were there with Paul and Luke the doctor may well have been a slave because the aristocracy didn't particularly like to get their hands messy maybe doing messy doctory things we do have a doctor on the keyboard tonight in fact, so if you want to know more do speak with him, Mark he's actually called Mark But you should be called Luke, really. Such is life. Anyway, um, Luke the doctor may have been a slave because the aristocracy, if they got a really clever slave, they would train them up to be a doctor. Uh, Anyway, and then you've got Demas. And, of course, Onesimus. They're probably also slaves, as their names are shortened versions. That gives you a clue that they were slaves. And then moving on, if you keep going on that bottom part of the letter with the names... You'll see Paul probably knows Nympha, who's mentioned next, who maybe leads a church in a house or just that church meeting in a house. We're not sure she's the leader of the church or not, but maybe Paul met her in Ephesus when she may have come to Ephesus, uh, which is not an insurmountable distance from Laodicea. Uh, and finally, Paul mentions Archippus, encouraging him to complete the work the Lord has given him. I hope that's not some kind of backhanded insult, but. Um, Is he someone who never got anything finished? I don't know. But that's a mystery to us. So anyway, to sum up, there was a great variety of people with Paul from different social standings and cultures. This is a hallmark of the body of Christ. Jesus invites all to become brothers and sisters in the family of God. And then Paul at the end returns to the theme, the last verse, that has run through the final part of his letter, letter, prayer. Paul says, I write this greeting in my own hand, remember my chains. And when he says remember my chains, he he could have said, remember my chains in your prayers. Remember our situation in your prayers. So do we pray for those in prison for their faith? Um, We maybe do already, but there are so many all, all over the world, sadly, who are in prison for their faith at the moment. So do pray for them, continue to pray for them. So let's just quickly summarise, before we move to uh, a song, and then we're going to reflect after that. Let's summarise what we thought about together. So first of all, Mark Maynell, Eddie might do a special deal on the book, we're not sure, you'll have to find out afterwards. Mark Maynell reminded us in that quote at the beginning, God's kingdom is about Jesus and the people who follow him. Named people, and we're all linked with these people that we've looked at tonight, and we can learn from them. That's number one and we thought about the theme devote yourselves to prayer and prayer is like a thread woven through one of Paul's tents to hold it together prayer is threaded through this final part of Paul's letter and should I think be threaded through all of our lives prayer thread it through your life and Paul has said finally the kingdom is for all there are no divisions distinctions in Christ, and he demonstrates that in reality in his relationships with all these different people and inclusion of them all. Amen.